1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we have been talking about biblical church leadership uh, for five weeks now. This is uh, the sixth week uh, that we've been on this topic. And so uh, I, think I, I think I said this already um, maybe halfway through. I really was not planning on this being such a long uh, series over, over a month. It just kind of happened to, to go that way. But we are getting to the end of this section for uh, elder pastors today. So this section for uh, overseer, uh, we are getting to the end of that. And then we'll look at uh, deacon uh, next week, uh, Lord willing. And then the week after that, we'll look at uh, church membership uh, after that. And so that's kind of the plan. Whether or not God changes that plan is up to him. Uh, but that's my plan right now. We'll talk about uh, deacons uh, next uh, Sunday and then church membership the Sunday after that. But uh, we've been talking about uh, this idea of church leadership uh, for a while now. If you remember, uh, that first message was from John chapter 10. So John chapter 10 is, is that uh, famous passage when Jesus says, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. And so when we looked at that, we were reminded that truly, uh, as, as elders, pastors, we are not the head of the church, all right? We might lead the church, but we're not the head of the church. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. He is the good shepherd. All other elder pastors fall under the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. This is not my church, all right? Wilton Bible Church is not my church. I do not own Wilton Bible Church. Neither do the elders. Who owns the church? It is God who, who truly owns the church. So I'm not saying the building. I know someone owns the property here or, or not someone but a group. And if uh, we never, if we decided if something happened to our church and we didn't have church, it would be sold off and something would happen. I don't know. But that's, that's way down the road somewhere. Hopefully not in the future, but for some churches it has. But really, the church is not just the building. It's not just the property. It's the people. It is God's flock. And so that is what we were talking about in John chapter 10, the fact that we are part of God's flock as uh, the church. And so there are shepherds that have been assigned to oversee God's flock. Those are under shepherds. And so we looked at that uh, John chapter 10. The next Sunday, we looked at um, the New Testament church. We looked at Acts chapter 6. And so remember, Acts chapter 6 lays a foundation for those two offices that we end up seeing later on in the New Testament. The office of elder, pastor, and the office of deacon. And so if you remember, uh, it was the apostles that were, they were preaching the word, but, but they, they, they realized that they weren't spending as much time as they should be preaching the word because they were doing the administrative things of the church. And so remember, they gave the opportunity back to the church, and they said, appoint men to come and serve the tables, to serve the church, that we might be able to be freed up to preach, to pray and preach God's Word. And so that's really the, the foundational passage. That's really what starts, I believe, these two, um, these two groups of, of elder pastors and deacons, uh, which are servants of the church. I believe that originated in chapter, or Acts chapter 6, and then that formed into what we have today. 
And then the past, I don't know, several Sundays, we've been looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now again, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is a qualifications for elder, I mean, uh, for overseer, that is an elder pastor. All right, and so uh, we are reminded that, it, that these qualifications are important because we as a church are the ones who confirm God's call on someone's life. And so God calls them, and when we vote to uh, accept them as church leadership, we are putting them in that place. We are recognizing the call that God has placed upon their life as a church. And so if we are to recognize that call, we must know what it means to be a good leader. So remember, God's leaders have a way of shaping the local church. And so it is up to us as a church to make sure that we put the right type of guys that are going to take Wilton Bible Church in the right direction. It's up to us as a church to vote those type of individuals in that fit the qualifications God has set forth for us in the Bible. And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to read the whole portion this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're going to read all the way through verse 7 today. And then uh, we'll open up in prayer. And so I'll have you stand out of respect for God's Word. This is not a long portion of Scripture. But notice here in verse 1 it says this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by the outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Let's go ahead and stop there, and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, as we think about these qualifications for overseer, as we think about these qualifications for the elder shepherd role, we do pray that you would continue to raise up men that would guard their hearts and guard their lives, that would be leaders in their homes to one day Fill this role. Lord, we thank you for the men that we already have that are filling this role. Thank you that they meet these qualifications. We pray that you would continue to bless Wilton Bible Church as we keep our eyes on you. As you are the head of the church, we are here to bring you glory. We are here to worship you. And so, Lord, if we ever... If we ever lose our focus as leadership, if we ever lose our focus as a church, we pray that you would put us back into the right path, that you would wake us up for the things that we are doing wrong and that we would get right with you. 
I pray that you would protect our leadership from making bad decisions. Help us to be sensitive to your Spirit. Help us not to be men who are of the flesh, but help us to be men who walk by the Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would meet with us today as once again we open up this passage of Scripture in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, this passage uh, before us today, we're going to call this a safety uh, net. All right, this is a, a safety net. Now, a safety net uh, does not, if, if you've ever uh, used a net to, to catch things, um, nets are only as good as whether or not they have holes in them. And, of course, all nets, if you're trying to catch fish, they all have holes in them to let go of the water. And so depending on how big those holes are, you don't catch all the fish. Matter of fact, some nets are designed on purpose to let go of the smaller fish and just keep the bigger fish. And so as we look at this portion of Scripture today, I just want to say we all know stories of, of elders and pastors and deacons who ended up leaving the ministry because of something they did wrong, because of some accusation, because something that they really admitted to, and those elders and deacons and pastors have stepped down. And so what we have here does not mean that our leadership is perfect, all right? It's not, well, if we, if we recognize these individuals, then these individuals will be perfect. This is not the type of net which prevents all bad leadership from coming into the church. So what is this list? This list is not to keep bad people from becoming leaders because obviously anyone can game the system, and some men have. They have said and did all the right things so that they could rise up in the church. But they really weren't there to shepherd the church. They were there to control the church. And so why do we have this list? This list is for us to recognize what a good leader looks like. Without this, without this list, we wouldn't know what makes a good leader who is someone that we should have as church leadership? What is a good shepherd? What is a good elder pastor? What is a good deacon? What do those individuals look like? And, and so what we have before us does not prevent all bad leadership from coming into the church because we're all familiar with stories of bad leaders coming into the church. Instead, what we have before us is really to recognize good leaders leaders who desire to honor the Lord. And so we broke this passage into four major categories, right? Four major categories, I believe, that are true here. That first category that we should be looking for in, in, in our elder and deacon, or our, I'm sorry, our elder pastors, as we think about nominations coming up next year, that first qualification is testimony. And remember, we take that from uh, verse 2. Therefore, an overseer, that is the idea of elder pastor, must be above reproach. That's the idea of testimony. That's the idea that before God's church is that individual, someone who is above reproach. Now, that does not mean that that pastor elder must be a perfect individual. 
Because again, there is no perfect leadership as far as earthly leadership is concerned. The Bible only talks about one perfect man walking the earth, and that was Jesus Christ. All the rest of us under shepherds are not perfect. We are actually just like you. We are individuals that have to say no to our flesh and yes to our spirit. And we have to do that daily and hourly and by every second, just like you. We have to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. And so we are not perfect individuals. And and when we think about testimony, we're not looking for perfect elder pastors. Remember, being above reproach means that an elder is to be the kind of man that no one suspects of wrongdoing or immorality. People should be shocked to hear this kind of man charged with such an act. That is what being above reproached is. And so in verse 2, we see there are things that our elder pastors should be known for. This should be their testimony. And so as we look over verse 2, it is what our pastors, our, our elder pastors should be. A picture. I mean, we could put their name in there. And of course, that big difference between an elder pastor and a deacon, although there's a lot of similar things, one of the big things is able to teach. Is our leadership known for their ability to teach? Matter of fact, um, we've talked about this uh, off and on as we've gone over this, but we really haven't looked at any portions that have come out of Titus yet, and so I wanted to bring up some of those portions this morning as we kind of close off this study. And so notice here in verse 9 it says this, and, and again Paul is, is talking to another pastor about elders in the church, about elder pastors, and he says this in verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And so as doctrine is taught, he holds those things close. Those things are important to him. So that he, that is the elder pastor, may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. So he holds on to what he's been taught, that trustworthy stuff, and then he reteaches it. And then notice, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, when you think about shepherds, shepherds have two major things they do as shepherds. Number one, they care for the flock. When a, when a sheep is going astray, they bring it back. If, if a sheep is stuck in the mud, they go into the mud and they bring that sheep out so it can be once again part of the flock. The first thing the shepherds do is care for the flock. But there's a second thing that shepherds do. They protect the flock. When they see a lion or a, a wolf coming, they, they, they prevent those things from happening. They protect the flock. Sometimes those shepherds will put themselves in between that beast and the sheep. They don't run in the opposite direction. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ, as he talked about in, in uh, John chapter 10, he says, those are not good shepherds. When the wolves come and the animals come and they run and they retreat and they don't really care about the sheep, those are not good shepherds. Good shepherds care for the sheep. And so there's two major things that shepherds, not only in the real world, but within the church do, they care and they protect. And I believe that is why they must be people that can teach 
and protect, they can refute false doctrine. I mean, that should be the minimum requirement for someone that leads the church, someone that can refute bad doctrine. If they have no idea what bad doctrine is, then they probably should not be a leader in the church. And so, elder... As we think about here what what Paul says there in 1 Timothy and again here in Titus, someone that holds on to the truth, someone who uh, reteaches the truth, and someone who rebukes those who contradict the truth. And so that first major qualification, that first major qualification for an elder pastor is a man who has a strong testimony with the church. All right, we should never think about having an elder, a deacon, or even a pastor uh, come into the church that does not have a strong testimony with the church. And that's one of the reasons why whenever uh, a pastor is candidating, uh, he visits several times to get to know the church, allow the church to get to know him. The leadership has meetings with him to get to know him because it's not just, well, you know what, you have a pretty face, we'll vote you in. Uh, because you use our translation or you like our music, we're going to make you our pastor. That should not, never be the guidelines for who becomes pastor of our church. Those guidelines should always be the ability to teach and the ability to refute false doctrine. It's that first major qualification there is a strong testimony with the church. Then we looked at the second major qualification for the office of elder pastor, and that is family leadership, family leadership. And we got this from verse 4, and it says this, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And so a man who we would call as an elder pastor and be nominated, voted in to leadership here at Wilton Bible Church should be a man who can lead his family. You know, the world might separate family life from business life. We talked about that last week where there's a lot of CEOs. You you always hear about what they're doing for their corporation, but you never hear about what they do with their family. Because the world separates family from business, but in God's economy, home life and ministry go hand in hand. Therefore, a man's leadership in the home is really a testing ground for how he will lead a church. How he shepherds his own family is the way that he should shepherd the church. The way that he cares for his family is the way that he should care for the church. Therefore, A man who does not lead his family well is not fit to lead the church. And so, as Paul talks in Titus, he says this. And so, again, this is uh, another list of qualifications, many of them very similar. You're going to notice this is very similar, but from a slightly different angle. And so, notice here what Paul says in verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, that's the idea of testimony, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. And so, so Paul says this. He, he actually kind of uh, levels up the qualification. If you remember the qualification from 1 
First Timothy is simply that a man keeps his children submissive. But here it actually says, what is the testimony of their children? And so, so what, is, what are these two ideas here? The charge of debauchery and insubordination. That is a wild child and a rebellious child. And of course, children gives the idea of, of kids within the home. And so an a, a elder pastor ought to be someone who is able to shepherd his own family and really fathers. Whether or not you are part of leadership, whether you're an elder or a deacon or a pastor, fathers, our number one priority should be to evangelize our children. And we should take those opportunities when they're at home. Teach them what is grace, what is salvation. Let them know I'm not perfect. And God doesn't expect them to be perfect because God has died for them. Jesus Christ died as a substitute, a perfect substitute for them. And so really, as we think about elders and, and pastors our first ministry should be to our families. Really, we should learn how to shepherd our families before we ever try to shepherd God's flock. And so that family leadership there. We ought to have guys that are leading the church that have been tried in their families and have found to be guys who their number one priority is to shepherd their own families. That they see that as the good work that God has prepared for them. It is their first priority. And then if they are found to be shepherds of their home, then they are qualified to shepherd the church. And so therefore the first mission or ministry of any elder pastor it's his immediate family before the family of God. Because really, if a man is not able to shepherd his own family, he is disqualified from shepherding uh, God's church. And so this is the second major qualification here. The second major qualification is this, for an elder and a pastor, he must be a man who leads his family well. That's the second qualification. So as we think about church leadership that Paul has set forth both in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well as in Titus, it is a man who leads his family well. Number three, maturity in the faith. The next major qualification for the office of elder pastor is a man who shows maturity in the faith. And so notice here in verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the combination of the devil. Now, Paul cautions the church. All right, Paul cautions the church, don't choose a man who is still young in the faith. And why would that be a big deal? Why would that be a big deal? Well, sometimes, uh, to be honest, sometimes new Christians, they are so enthusiastic. They are so excited about spiritual things and, and they can't, they, 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 just, they just love God's word and, and they eat it up and, and they have a, a strong prayer life and, and they're very evangelistic. I mean, almost, almost fearless 
because they realize I have been saved from so much and i got to communicate this to everyone I know. And I remember hearing a testimony uh, of a man in, in ministry and, and he said after he got saved, his, his mom was not saved and, and he went home and he pretty much told his mom, Mom, you have to get saved. And then later on he said, now I realize that that, uh, that was a wrong approach that really God has to work in her life. But at that time I was realizing that she was not right with the Lord and she was headed to a place called hell that separated from God from all of eternity and I wanted her to get saved. And, and sometimes new Christians, they are so enthusiastic and fearless in evangelism and we would think, well, that's the type of people we want. Sometimes new Christians, they're like a little kid who starts running before they really know how to walk. And we, if, if you've had kids, uh, you've probably had a kid like this. You let them go, and you're trying to teach them how to be steady on their feet, but all they can do to be steady on their feet is to run really fast into something. Or they run really fast until they fall forward and crash. And unfortunately, some churches... They have really taken someone who is young in the faith and they have promoted them to a place where there should really be someone mature in the faith. And that man's faith has really been rocked back and forth as they began to really handle the spiritual matters of the church. And those things really weigh on them. And, and sometimes those guys end up falling out of church. Or those guys never want to be in church leadership ever again. Because really they're like kids. They're running fast, but they don't really know how to walk. And so sadly, some young Christians have been ruined by becoming or being appointed as elder pastors too early. Really, the term elder implies this, wisdom and experience, things that really a new believer just doesn't have yet. They don't have that wisdom. They don't have that experience. They're really just young Christians running before they learn how to walk. Or even worse, it's going to be even worse, if, if, if really we are, um, as a church, trying to promote new, new Christians, new Christians to the faith, there could be a possibility, and this has happened in other churches, that they end up raising up an elder or a pastor who is not really a Christian. So here you have a man who is trying to shepherd God's flock without actually being part of God's flock at all. And those situations can really damage the testimony of the church and it can damage God's flock. And so Paul here says, no, it should not be someone who is young in the faith. It should be someone who is mature in the faith. As a matter of fact, this whole idea of elder implies wisdom and experience. This begs the question, which of us as members of the church have ever heard the salvation testimony of some of our elders and pastors? As I began to think about this maturity in the faith, obviously, before you could ever be mature in the faith, you must what? Have saving faith. 
then how many times as a church have we appointed leaders to the church without ever actually hearing their salvation testimony? You know, some churches, what they do is when a man is nominated to church leadership and elder pastor uh, role, one of the things they do is they actually share their testimony with the church so that the church can identify that they meet this qualification, mature in the faith. And, and uh, I don't know what our elders would think of that, but that might be a, a good thing for us to do is to have them share their salvation testimony so that we as a church know that the men that we are electing the church leadership are men who are mature in the faith. They are men who truly have faith. So this idea of maturity in the faith. And so really that third major qualification for an elder pastor is this. The third major qualification for an elder pastor is a man who is mature in the faith. And of course, if you're going to be mature in the faith, you must be someone who is part of the faith. If you're going to lead God's flock, you have to be part of God's flock. Now we get to number four, the fourth major qualification. And the last major qualification that we see for the office of elder and pastor is reputation in the community. And when I use the word community, I'm not just saying uh, someone who is friends with others. Uh, What I'm saying is when I use the word community, I'm talking about the unsaved uh, community. And of course, this would fit in for those who are saved as well. But I think what Paul has in mind here is really unbelievers. And so notice what he says here in verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. That word outsiders gives the idea of unbelievers, unsaved, unregenerate, unregenerate people, all right? So they are outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. John MacArthur says this about this passage, a leader in the church must have an unpeachable reputation in the unbelieving community, even though people there may disagree with his moral and theological stands. And so we kind of scratch our head and we say, well, why? Why would Paul make this one of the qualifications? Why would it be important that a man be recognized before unsaved people? Isn't it just about the church? But really, ministry within the church and ministry outside the church goes hand in hand. Because really we are here not just to educate believers. We are here to fulfill the great commission, which is to share the gospel, to teach all that I have commanded you. And so here in Paul's letter, he does, he does often talk about the idea, the, the view of what the world thinks about the church, the way the church is portrayed to the watching world. Matter of fact, here is what he says in Philippians chapter 2. Notice, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, this is for all of us as Christians, not just leadership. And he says this in verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation 
among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so we are supposed to be, as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, as part of God's flock, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are just passing through. Really, our home is heaven. But that doesn't mean that we ignore people outside of God's family. Really, as Christians, and this goes for pastors and elders and deacons, and each one of us who would call themselves a follower of Jesus Christ, each one of our priority, one of the good works that God has prepared for us is to be able to share the gospel that He would change lives. There's no doubt to me that I... And many of you miss those opportunities, that God brings us opportunities for us to talk about spiritual things, and and we miss those opportunities. And I know that to be true because I have recognized those in my own life. I have recognized that there's been times in my own life where it seemed like God just widely opened up the door to be able to talk about Him, and I sidestepped it. And so we as a church, we as believers, we as elders and pastors and deacons and believers should not sidestep those conversations. Instead, we should go, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Give me wisdom. So you, you mentioned uh, such and such. Take those opportunities to share that good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And, and so really... As we think about this idea of reputation in the community, Paul talks about it. It is one of those requirements for the church. And remember why Paul is writing this in the first place. He says this in 1 Timothy 3.15, know how one ought to behave. He says, this is one of the reasons why I'm writing this, that you know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And so we, as God's people, hold forth the truth. Now, we're, we're thinking about missions as it comes up uh, in, in October. And so let me give you an illustration of, of a missionary. And uh, what your job is, is to, is to figure out by the end of my story whether or not this is a good missionary that we should support or a bad missionary that we should probably not support. So imagine with me that a missionary, uh, he decides that, you know what, God's called me to, to go to Russia. I just kind of picked one out of the hat, someone that uh, we currently don't support so that there's no connections to any of our present missionaries. But let's have a man, he's going to go, he's going to take his family to uh, Russia. He's very evangelistic, he, he's, he's very excited, he gets to Russia, but he has no desire to learn the custom. He has really no desire to learn the people. Matter of fact, he tries to set up a church in Russia the same way that he would set up a church in the United States. And we say, well, would that make a good missionary? Well, no. Really, a good missionary is someone who shows the people that they love them. They build bridges by learning their language and learning their customs and, and not planning a church like we would in America, but planning a church like they would in Russia. 
And so we as a church, we would say, well, that's a qualification for a missionary. But then if we would say that was a qualification for a missionary, we would also have to say that's a qualification for an elder pastor. Someone who knows how to build bridges, not tear bridges down with the unsaved world. Someone that knows how to reach out, how to evangelize, how to share the good news. And so as Christians, we live in the world, but we are not to be of the world. Instead, we are called to be lights in this dark world. And and truly, there is enough darkness in this world that we don't need to add to the darkness because we have the hope. We have the hope as a church. We have hope as the leadership. And so, that last major qualification, that last major qualification is this. An elder pastor is to be a man who has a good uh, 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 reputation in his community. And, And so, someone who is able to uh, builds bridges. And, and I've heard some pastors, and some of the words that they have said just tear down bridges. Some of their comments just tear down bridges. And that, that really shouldn't be part of, of our elders or pastors. Uh, we should always be trying to build relationships, not tear down relationships uh, with the unsaved. And really, just as us as Christians, all right? So, this, is, this should always be our goal as Christians, all right, this is always our goal. If we're ever going to share the gospel, we do it in such a way that we leave the door open for the next person that's going to come by and water the gospel. If we are so, so in their face about the gospel, the next person that comes along, all they're going to be thinking about is you and how forceful you were in sharing the gospel. When we share the gospel, we water a little bit. We leave the door open so that someone else can come by, water a little bit. And really remember, it is God who gives that increase. And so that last major qualification for an elder pastor is a man who has a good reputation in his community. And so what should we be looking for as a church the next time an elder pastor is nominated to the leadership position? We should be looking for a man who has a strong testimony before the church. A man that we know fits verse 2. Those are things that he does do. And in verse 3, things that he does not do. All right? He's not known to be a drunkard. He's not known to be quarrelsome. He's not known to to be uh, angry. Number two, a man who leads his family well or has led his family well. I got a, I got a question after the service last Sunday. Uh, uh, one of the uh, teens uh, came up to me and said, well, what if they've never been married? What if they don't have a family? Like, how can they actually test out their shepherding skills if God hasn't given them that shepherding uh, skills yet? And, and really, that was a really great, really great question. Obviously, if a man... It doesn't have a family, then he can't really be disqualified from meeting this because he's not someone who has led his family in the wrong way. And remember, this doesn't prevent people. It simply gives us an idea of what people should look like. And so, is it possible for a pastor to be unmarried? Yes. Matter of fact, I know a pastor. 
And uh, I was actually um, uh, surprised when, when I heard about this particular pastor to hear that he was unmarried and yet the senior pastor of the church because that's not the norm, but it is acceptable as far as God's Word is concerned. And so the family is that testing ground. If they don't know how to lead their family, Paul says, how can they know how to lead the church? Number three, as we think about what we should be uh, recognizing as leadership in our church for the pastor-elder position, a man who is mature in his faith, not a perfect man, but a man who has wisdom and experience. Shepherding the church is not easy. If it was easy, God would call us all shepherds. Instead, what does God call us? He calls us all sheep. And why? Because oftentimes, sheep make bad decisions. And so, I am a sheep, and you are a sheep, and oftentimes, we need direction from the Lord. No, all the time, we need direction from the Lord. Oftentimes, we need direction from pastors and elders. And so, mature in our faith. And that very last thing, when we are thinking about who should be, we be nominating for, for that position of leadership, someone who has a good repu- reputation before unbelievers, someone who builds bridges in their community, not tears them down with their words or their ungodly conduct. As elders and pastors, we are not perfect men We are not perfect fathers, we are not perfect husbands, and we are not perfect leaders. We struggle with the flesh just like you do. We have to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. And really, behind every good pastor and every good elder, you know what there is? A good wife and a good group of people who pray. Behind every good leadership group, there is people who pray for their leadership and there are good wives because obviously they are an important part to the leadership of the church. And as I finish up here, I just want to say that I think the leadership that we currently have at Wilton Bible Church is a great group of guys. I love serving with them. I think they meet the qualifications that we have talked about. And it's been a joy to serve with them, and it continues to be a joy to serve with them. And one of the reasons why it is so joyful, not just because of the guys that we have, but because of the church that we get to serve. Because really, we talk about uh, uh, leadership being a difficult thing, There are some guys who have been called and meet the qualifications and they end up going to a church and the church really like chews them up and spits them out and they never go back into the ministry because of the people within the church. But that's not the sense that I get and it's not the sense that the pastors and the elders get from Wilton Bible Church. We seem to be a very solid church, a church that supports God's Word and supports God's leadership. And so it's been a joy, it continues to be a joy uh, to serve with the elders that we have here as well as to serve with you. It's been a joy to serve 
continue to serve. Every time I say it has been, I feel like you're going to interpret that I'm leaving and going somewhere else, and that's not the fact. continues to be a joy uh, to serve with you. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for the leadership that we have. Lord, we are not perfect leaders. We are not perfect husbands. We are not perfect individuals, perfect men. We are men who are still growing. But thank you, Lord, for the strong testimonies that our leadership have. Thank you for the way that they have raised their families. Thank you that they build bridges in our community that they guard their words, they guard their actions, that they might build bridges with the unsaved rather than tearing them down. Lord, also thank you that they are solid men, men who are mature in the faith, men who don't only know how to serve, but know how to teach and and to refute false doctrine because they are mature. And lastly, Lord, we thank You for our church. Thank You for each member that is a part of Wilton Bible Church, and I think about many of the people that are not able to be here this morning, whether because something else is happening in their life, whether it be health or or something else. And, and so, Lord, we thank you for those that are here this morning and those that are not. Thank you for giving us a place where we could come together and bring you glory. Truly, Lord, this is our purpose. Our purpose is to bring you glory, that you would increase and that we would decrease. We know some of these good works that you have set before us if we are fathers is to evangelize our family, if we are Christians is to evangelize the lost. Help us to build those bridges and leave that door open for the next person that would come along and water that gospel in that person's life. We pray that you would continue to use Wilton Bible Church and the people here to be shining lights in our community. We think about school starting next week, Lord, and and so many of our new families are, are unchurched. Many of our new families are unsaved. What a great opportunity we have as a ministry to share the gospel within the classroom, to share the gospel within the kids' programs such as Awan and the different outreaches that we do throughout the year. We pray that you would bless as we stay faithful to the gospel and we would see new families get saved and be added to the church, saved, baptized, and added to the church. And so, Lord, we thank you for continuing to work through Wilton Bible Church and the ministry of Wilton Christian School. Again, Lord, we ask, we plead with you, you would help our leadership to stay connected to you, that you would guide us with your spirit, that we would say no to our flesh, and we would say yes to you. Help us to be leaders that would bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.